0: Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Bochet, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Gabrielle again. And this week, we are jumping into an incredible story. I'm really excited to be having our guest with us to share her story of of triumph, of struggle, and of really finding her voice representing those in need. This week, we have with us Bianca Juarez-Altoff, who is incredible. We've been just chatting it up before we started recording, and we have apparently a bunch in common, which is always awesome, but she is an author, she's a speaker, she teaches, she preaches, and she is the chief storyteller of an amazing organization, a21 campaign, which she's going to be sharing more of as well. So Bianca, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And good attempt at my last names.
1: I have to give you kudos because you said
0: both of them, which are really hard to know. Well, we were chatting too, because as a boshay, which 98% of the time is bosh, I'm, you know, I'm fairly sensitive to the, to the challenge, right? The struggle. <laughs> so share with us your role at A21 and for our listeners there, if they've been with us for a while, they are fairly familiar with A21 Campaign because of The Penny Story, who is a promotional partner of yours. We've had Kendall Altmire of The Penny Story on talking about her work raising money for A21 Campaign, which focuses on human trafficking. But you have a pretty awesome job title. You're called the Chief Storyteller. So what do you tell stories about? Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um I actually created my own that's title the best. because
1: every <laughs> box that they wanted to put me in, I was like, no one puts me in a box. You know, kind of as a millennial, it's like having a boring like admin assistant or something like that for the work that I was doing, it, it, the the titles didn't fit. At the end of the day, titles mean nothing. And so if that's the case, then I kind of appropriated my own title and I said, "I'm overseeing social media" Um, our website, our rebrand, our um, external and internal communication and tonality. And I get to tell stories of our survivors. So why not if my title is chief storyteller? So I get to advocate uh, on behalf of our survivors as well as give a global perspective to those um, from colleges to churches to campuses to communities on what human trafficking is and our
0: responsibility and our possibility in bringing this horrible injustice to an end. So how did you get involved in in human trafficking? I mean, how did you become passionate about this issue, which has been around for, you know, as as long as humans have been alive? But now we're really with, you know, platforms like A21 campaign and doing uh, social media awareness has really come to the forefront of many of our conversations.
1: Right. So I started about six years ago now. Um, I met the founder, Christine Kane, at a conference. And I I was editing and writing and working on a couple of personal projects and passion projects. And then she kind of just threw out this question we met. And she ended up meeting my now husband, and they were going to have a conversation about human trafficking. And I know this sounds ignorant, but please bear with me. I really did not have an understanding of what human trafficking was in the least. Like I'm an American. Slavery was abolished. Thank you, uh, Abraham Lincoln. You know, like that was kind of like the scope. And, And then, you know, I saw it taken with Liam Neeson. So like I had an idea that that's happening overseas somewhere. But I think once I really started to delve into what human trafficking is, how it is literally happening in every continent, every country, every socioeconomic, economic, uh area across the globe, it became something that was no longer in a third world uh, location, but it became really close to home. I started researching it. And um, a couple weeks later, my husband uh, had a meeting with Christine and her husband, Nick, and we met up for dinner. And I told my husband that I was going to be my best behavior. I wasn't going to talk a lot. I wasn't going to try to be funny. I was just going to be so serious, <laughs> a really good wife, you know, submissive and quiet. I was so going to be P31. And within probably 30 minutes, Christine and I hit 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 it off. We have amazing dialogue on, um, I'm a woman of faith. And so we had amazing dialogue about uh, Christianity, our role as Christians, what is, why society is remaining silent on something that is so deafeningly painful to millions across the globe. And, And at the end of the conversation, she said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to tell the world about Jesus. And she said, are you doing that writing your blog? And it really tapped into every millennial sensitivity, right? Truth bomb. Right? You don't want to say (laughs) that, but every millennial sensitivity that I had was kind of like um, the the scab that heals over when I'm like, no, I'm doing good. I'm changing the world. And then she comes on and rips that scab off scab off. And the truth of the matter was, is, you know, we sometimes we have these grandiose ideas of like what we're doing to help. And if we buy this pair of shoes, then somebody else is going to get a pair of shoes. Or if I buy this, then, you know, proceed goes to there. And I think that that's amazing. And I think that awareness is awesome. But at some point, our awareness has to move to action. Otherwise, we just pontificate over ph- philosophical ideas, yeah. rather than being practitioners of the gospel. And that's, how I started. I walked away from a great job. I I was working part-time and the pay was so great. I didn't need a full-time job so I could pursue writing and blogging and um, social commentary. And it it was a lot of fun. I just don't know if it was efficacious in what I wanted to do to spread uh, spread the message of the gospel ultimately, and that came in the form of people finding fr- finding freedom. And my heart is 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 split. I want people to experience spiritual freedom, but the work that I did, my trade, my vocation, is helping people find physical freedom. And six years later, I'm here,
0: and that's so incredible. One of the uh, the topics that we talk a lot about here on this show is you know how you can you know find. Your calling in something that isn't necessarily what you went to college for or what you were, you know, quote unquote, interested in, but it really comes very um, happenstance, and it really comes from this uh, this uh, intersection of your your passions, your ability to communicate, and and then being able to. Fit a real need to really bring value in what whatever area that is, and so many young people are just thinking, you know, what am I supposed to do? And and I need direction. And you know, it could be working for an incredible nonprofit like A Twenty One, or it could be you know working in an accounting firm, right? But it's you know bringing intentionality and realizing that God's got you in this season and He wants you to do something that's outward facing. And what I think is so cool about what you're doing is. Yeah, there's the spiritual component of your passion and you're doing that. We're going to talk about your your book in a moment and and uh you speaking all over the country to at women's conferences and and encouraging uh Christians and especially Christian millennials to really think through what does being um what is living a life of of spiritual maturity and purity really look like? But what I think is really cool about our generation, I think you'll agree, is that we do care about justice and we do care about freeing others. And so what a cool opportunity for you to go in and talk about something about just justice in general. And then that totally lead, leads into the conversation about, you know, true justice and in the author of justice, which is Jesus Christ.
1: Absolutely. You know what I'm, I'm so proud of to be part of the millennial generation is that we have the most access to access we have the most access to technology we have the most educational resources that we've had in known history so there's really nothing that stops us other than of course you know opportunity in some cases education in some cases wherewithal but really we are like the pull ourselves up from the bootstraps The we've got the chutzpah We've got the drive and we have the passion. And, you know, one of the markers that I identify this generation is, like you said, this this kind of like cry for justice. And people from a non-religious or non-faith-based or non-Christian perspective will view that as just philanthropic or do-gooder. But we as Christians really understand that this is been this is just a hybrid. This is the lion and the lamb. This is justice and love. This is salvation and freedom. Like we understand from a spiritual perspective that they're one in the same and that they go together. And I love what you're saying because I'm not too sure that that's really a tenet that people understand that we as Christians, we're privy to the why, not just the what, like what we do or what we buy or where we go or where we work, but why we work where we do, why we shop the way we do and why we live the way that we do. Yeah,
0: I, I love it. Well, that's a perfect segue into your book, Play with Fire. And I, as an author myself, I think everybody should write a book or two uh, because I believe everybody has has a message. But yours is truly unique, and and you talk about your struggles in a very raw way. And it's the authenticity that I think uh, our generation really responds well to. So tell us why you wrote your book and what you hope to have your message, uh, who you want your message to be received by. You know, it's so funny. Um, before I started working
1: at A21, there's an opportunity to um, to pitch a book. And I was working on the book proposal uh, and it was harder than I thought, not because the labor was arduous, though it was, um, and time consuming, though it was, but it just felt like something was amiss. And when I met Christine, she told me, you know, that that wonderful truth bomb of like, are you doing that writing your blog? And then um, once I came onto staff, I said, yes. Uh, she told me, you're not going to have the capacity to write and do these passion projects that you once did. She just like straight up, like just, it was like circumcision. It was like so painful. And it was like <laughs> a cutting away of all the things that I loved. But at the end of the day, she knew that I didn't need that. And she said, what you write in five years, will be so much stronger than anything that you can write now. Because honestly, what are you going to say? What are you going to say as a 28-year-old? And um, it was a little offensive, but at the same time, I had to trust. She's older. She's wiser. She's gone through this journey before. And so I laid it down. And then I was going through a moment of really questioning. Was that the best thing for me? And I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a pastor. And I just, pastors are so wise. I love them. And like, he was like, you know what, Bianca? Uh, God asked Moses to lay down his rod and his rod, or in some translations, his staff, his, his staff just wasn't an instrument of his trade. It didn't just, uh, it didn't just identify his, his income, like what he did, but it was his identity. You know, that is what he had done for so many years. And not only was it his income, not only was it his identity, it was his influence in the community. He had, you know, he had a a farm, essentially a, a sheep farm. He um, had influence, and yet he laid down his influence, his income, his identity. And I, I love that he told me, if God asks you to pick it back up, it's going to be raised with something greater. And if God asks you to lay it down and you don't pick it up, it's because it wasn't yours to carry. And I had to kind of think about that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, if you don't want me to write. I'm just going to lay it down. Um, but if I pick this back up and if you ask me to pick this back up, I believe like as the staff turned into a living, uh, breathing thing, it turned into a snake. So a dead thing turned into a living thing. I firmly believe that the dead words that I'm trying to write will become living. And, um, you know, sure enough, five years later, I start working on a new a a new book. And it really was a passion project. I think I so desperately wanted to get away from I'm a first generation American, get away from I'm brown, get away from I'm a female, like I just want to be viewed as competent, and able and secure. And it literally was an uncovering of like, wait a minute, I am who I am, because of who I was. I was the overweight, uh, the obese, brown, Illiterate girl from the hood who couldn't read, write, or spell at the age of 11. And yet I made a bold promise to God. I said, God, if you give me words, I will give you my voice. And He was so faithful to see me through. And um, my family and my family's church and our community is a living testament of God's faithfulness. So I get to um, gaze to the future with hope, but look at the past and remember with, with fondness where God met us. And it wasn't in the successes. It wasn't in the opulence. It wasn't in these amazing travels or great levels of education that I was able to receive. It was in those moments of lack, of pain, of shame, of brokenness that I really felt and encountered the power of God. And so instead of me trying to be like, I'm so perfect and polished, I'm so put together. Like I want to, I want to fake, I want to not fake the funk. I want to keep it real. And I, I firmly believe that what feels like an ember in our hearts, like, I don't know if God can, I don't know if he will, I don't know if he should, that ember of faith that just feels like it's about to be stuffed out, that the winds of the Holy Spirit breathe on that and spark a fire of transformation in people's lives. And that's
0: really the message that our generation, I think, needs now more than ever is that we we're in the mess, we're in the mire, we're trying to figure it out. Some are trying to figure out, you know, who they should marry, or if they should get married, or, you know, should they go to college, or should they not, or what career should they take? I mean, there's so many questions that the option of having too many options, I think, is really uh, seizing us from from moving forward in our lives. And so your message really resonates with with a generation that's essentially just being encouraged. It's okay. Right. We're all in process. And, and that struggle that you're going through right now, don't try and don't try and get out of it. I love, I love that Christine told you, Hey, your, your message is going to be so much stronger in five years, which none of us when we're young and restless want to hear. Right. We're like, no, it's amazing right Right, now. Right. I need to tell everyone (laughs) right now. And I'm so qualified and, it, you know, sometimes you need to have that process, which that's been really the word that God's put in my heart over and over again is, you know, fall in love with the process. I'm like, Jesus, I don't, I do not love this process. Yes. <laughs> I'm not good at waiting. I'm good at microwaving things. Right. Yes. And God's like, nope, putting you in the slow cooker. Right. Yes. Cause you're worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. So what is your, what is your hope for a generation where, When you look out and, you know, in 40, 50 years from now, when we're, we're looking at our own legacy, what is your hope and what is your prayer for what we're able to do on this planet?
1: You know what? I think that Solomon said it best. There's nothing new under the sun. And I don't think that he meant it in this kind of like desperate and desolate way. I think he was just saying like, let's just have a moment of awakening that we can try to recreate reinvent the wheel, or we can do the best with what we have. And I think especially in our generation of having um, instant availability to peer into people's lives, almost like peep into their lives with Snapchat and Insta stories and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, That comparison is really hard. So my hope for this generation is that what Paul said, run your race, not run the race that everyone else is running, do what everyone else is doing, bump over into the lane, but do what God has called you to do. And I think that uh, we see people going out and changing the world and doing these amazing things. And yes, I work for an anti-human trafficking organization and, and the title and the job and what I get to do is really awesome. But here's the thing, that's not for everyone. And sometimes we think and we could idolize that what someone else is doing is the best when no, what God is calling you to do is, is his best. And when we are faithful with that, if we bloom or we're planted, if we could see the value in what we're doing now, then I believe that God will like with talents, multiply and entrust us with more. So can we run in our lane? Can we, intru- can we um, multiply what's been entrusted to us? Can we look to the future with hope, knowing that, I mean, there's so many doomsday prophets out there. There's so many naysayers. There's so many people that will hate on the millennials and talk about uh, politics and the next president, all this other stuff. You know what? We keep focused to what God has called us to do because presidents have come and gone and prime ministers have come and gone and kings and queens have come and gone, but the word of God remains. And when we walk in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel, when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can stop us from doing what God has called us to do, period. And if we get just that small, it's so insignificant. I wish I had some like deep philosophical thing, but really let's get back to basics. A core understanding of our identity, the calling
0: that God has put in our life, things will fall into place after that. I could not have said it better myself. Well, that was incredible. I had a ton of fun talking with you. We could definitely stay on uh, this show for much longer, uh, but I'm going to conclude with a question that I ask all of our guests here on Up Next. And if it's the 12-year-old version of you were to meet you now and see what you're doing, what would she think about it? She would not believe
1: that... Oh, I feel like crying that God kept his promise. Like she knew it. Mm. She knew that God would keep his promise, but she didn't know what that looked like. And I really feel like for those that are in a desert season where they feel like they've left Egypt, but now they're just circling mountains and in dry and arid spaces, don't give up keep moving forward because one day the promised land will be yours and yes there'll be battles and yes there'll be giants but the land that the Lord has promised is is walking in the fullness of what he's called you to and that land exists
0: and it's so worth it it's so worth it well, Bianca, thank you so much for spending time with us here on Up Next and and sharing your story and your struggle. And we'll make sure to include links to your personal website and, and links to A21 as well to learn more about how they can partner with you, how they can follow you and where you'll be speaking next. So thanks so much for joining us.